Hello and welcome to Definitions, the podcast where we crack the lid of the coffin on death, dying and all the morbid morsels in between. Before we go any further, halt and take heed. These are your words of warning. I will be discussing topics of a deathly nature that may be upsetting to some, including death, fire, and a little bit of grisly murder. If you're not in the right headspace to get down and dirty with the maggots today, then that's fine. I totally get it. Sometimes you'd rather dig into cake and a good romance novel than a freshly dug grave. Now's your time to save yourself. If you're still here, I'll assume you've got your shovels at the ready. Though, you won't really need them. Because today, I'm asking the question, what is cremation? Throughout your life, you've probably heard people say a variation of the phrase, nothing's new. Everything has been done before, and yet so many of us strive to be the first to do something. Whether you're hunting for Bigfoot in the Appalachian Mountains, or Victor Frankensteining it in a lab, there's something pushing us to find something that no one's ever seen or experienced before. Like when in 1599, the anatomist Rialdo Colombo discovered the clitoris. Not just for himself, apparently, for everyone, even people who had them. If we leave something alone for long enough, if something is not deemed proper or important by society, then occasionally we get to discover something very old and new. If we once again take the clitoris, not literally, which was purposefully removed from the Grey's Anatomy in 1948, only to be rediscovered a few years later, I don't think it's a coincidence the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s is such a surprise. It was a direct attempt to remove women's sexuality. Even in a book that strips the body to the bone, the one little nub was just too sensitive a spot for the medical establishment. Clitoris puns aside, the point I'm making here is that rediscovering something allows us to see it in a new light. Concepts and ideas shine and reflect differently depending on the when, the where, and the who. The when being 26th of March, 1885, the where being Woking Crematorium, closely situated to the cemetery we discussed on the episode about the Necropolis Railway, and the who being one Mrs. Jeanette C. Pickersgill. And what was it that made this particular happening so special? Well, unfortunately, Mrs. Pickersgill, although the star of the show, would not herself be able to wonder at the spectacle about to take place. Alas, Mrs. Pickersgill was dead. There seems to be a lack of information surrounding our deceased protagonist, either about her life before this or leading up to it. And so, she was made famous for one brief 
flash in the pan. She burned brightly, you might say, because Jeanette Pickersgill was the first person to be cremated in the UK. And maybe that sounds like hyperbole, to be the first ever. But the difference is that she was the first to be cremated in a Christian culture that still widely held the belief that you needed all your body parts to get into heaven. Jeanette's cremation was an effigy to choice, to decide what becomes of our bodies when we no longer inhabit them. It was also in response to the titanic boom in population that came with the Industrial Revolution and the rapidly overflowing graveyards this was causing. Again, I recommend tuning into episode 5 and taking a ride with me on the Necropolis Railway. Cremation was shorter and neater than waiting for a body to decompose and the bones removed so that you could recycle a grave. Why, with cremation, there didn't even need to be a grave at all. It was the turn of the 20th century. The turbulent and world-shattering 1900s were on their way. What a time to be alive. What a time to die. The dictionary definition of cremation, according to the Cambridge Online Dictionary, is the act of burning a dead body, or a part of a funeral ceremony where this is done. And since it blazed onto the scene in the late 19th century, it has gone on to become the most popular way to dis be dispatched after you meet your maker. With 78.10% of people who died in the UK in 2019 having been cremated. So, what do you need to know about cremation? On average, it takes between one to three hours for the cremator to do his job. If the deceased person was larger, however, this could take up to five hours. During this time, all hair, soft tissues and organs will burn away and the bones will become brittle and fragmented. Temperatures in the cremator range between 1000 and 1300 degrees Celsius, about the same temperature as lava from a volcano. In other words, it's very, very hot. Most house fires burn at a lower temperature than this, and when the intense heat is concentrated on a particular spot, such as a coffin holding a deceased in an enclosed space, it is no wonder the body is reduced so fast. So, if you're getting cremated, you might leave some flowers in the coffin, you might want to leave some cards, but what can't you leave? Well, there are certain things which can have terrible consequences if placed inside a cremator. You may think that zipping your Uncle Tim a bottle of whiskey in his jacket pocket when you go to say your final goodbyes at the funeral home is a touching act. But once introduced to the heat, it can have explosive consequences. For similar reasons, pacemakers have to be removed to avoid your deceased loved one departing with a bigger bang than you were expecting. The Independent reported that a woman in Grenoble, France was fined 1300 pounds by a crematorium for damages after the pacemaker still inside her husband's chest exploded during cremation. Despite the device having been fitted only eight months prior, when filling out paperwork, the widow had not ticked to indicate that it was in place. 
the man's doctor was fined double that amount for his knowledge of the pacemaker. This is the terror of bureaucracy. You negate to tick one little box, or put an X in the wrong place, and kaboom. And of course, after your allotted time in the world's hottest tanning booth, it's time to be packaging you up to return you to your family. This often involves first stopping off at the cremulator, which sounds like the villain from an 80s sci-fi movie, but it is in fact a machine that processes any larger fragments of bone and grinds them down into the stuff that we know as ashes. In the UK, this is one of the only ways to keep human remains, as after cremation, there is no human DNA left. It's all been burnt away. Well, of course, there have been people who have requested the return of severed legs and other body parts, but I think it's a bit different when those body parts belong to you. You may have heard of the man with the amputated leg lamp. Leo Bonten of the Netherlands had to have his right leg amputated after a freak accident involving a kiddie pool, a too long ignored injury, and a horrible infection. Shortly after having the leg removed, Benton decided that a funeral for his lost limb was too pricey, and he set about putting plans in place to get it turned over to him by the hospital, preserved, and turned into a light source for his home. Google it. I dare you. Legless tangents aside, once your loved one's ashes have been returned to you, it's now time to choose what you're going to do with them. Sit them on the mantelpiece, incorporate them into a piece of jewellery, scatter them by drone, fire them into space, or get them mixed into the ink of your next tattoo. The list is pretty much endless, and there are companies out there to assist you with whatever wacky plan Uncle Tim had for his ashes. Just do your research, okay? Read the reviews and make sure what's on offer is legal. You can't just strap Uncle Tim to a firework and let rip. That would involve all of those ashes scattering widely, then raining down, most likely on top of you. No one wants to be washing bits of Uncle Tim dust out of their hair. But that's really just a look at cremation in the UK and some other parts of the Western Hemisphere. Elsewhere around the world, cremation looks very different. Japan has the highest cremation rate in the world. Throughout history, cremation and Buddhism have traveled hand in hand, and it was believed in Japan that disposing of bodies in this manner was a kind of cleansing. The Japanese have been cremating since 700 AD. Buddhist philosophy teaches that everything is impermanent and the transformative nature of cremation ties nicely with this kind of thinking. It wasn't always smooth sailing for cremation in Japan. Notably, the Confucians frowned upon the practice and denounced it for being unnatural, and the Japanese government even tried to outright ban it in the late 1860s. Despite these efforts, burning the bodies of loved ones managed to cling on as a regular funeral practice, with 99.9% .9 of people in Japan now choosing cremation. There are many rituals that have become tied to Japanese cremation over time. Some Buddhist, some from Shintoism, and some just cultural. One particularly moving ritual is Kotsuage, where once removed from the cremator, the family, two at a time, 
use large chopsticks to move the individual pieces of bone into the urn, starting with the feet. In this way, they are personally and lovingly involved with the journey of their deceased loved one. The remains may then be shared between the family or taken to the family shrine. Sometimes a portion of the ashes are even given to the company they worked for to be placed in the company graveyard. The more you know. Somehow, I don't see that catching on over here. In Indian society, cremation has long held an important place. Hinduism is the third largest religion in the world and believes that the burning of the physical body will help with the freeing of the soul and aid it on its way to its next incarnation. The biggest difference between how cremation is practiced in India versus other parts of the world is the fact that they prefer a more open-air experience. Cremations in India tend to take place outside on funeral pyres, historically on the banks of the river Ganges. In Hindu tradition, the body remains at home until the cremation, which should take place within 24 hours, and there is an array of rituals and rites to be observed in that time. It takes anywhere from around three to eight hours for the body to burn, depending on how much wood and fuel is used, and the family will often stay until the body has burned away entirely. COVID-19 hit this traditional way of death and mourning hard, as people were dying in extremely high numbers and families struggled to find space and fuel in such a short amount of time. Parks and parking lots in New Delhi were converted into makeshift sites for mass cremation in an attempt to keep up with the quickly rising number of dead. To have to turn such a sacred and necessary part of the Hindu grieving process into one of anonymous haste I can only begin to imagine must have left the families raw with guilt and haunted them, being unable to say goodbye to their loved ones. It's hard to find news that isn't sensational, so discovering how cremation in India is faring post-pandemic has been difficult, and I can only hope that families are once again able to properly mourn the passing of their dead. So cremation isn't a newfangled thing. It's been around for a long time. It's steeped in tradition and it's not going anywhere. And things that have been around for a long ass time tend to pick up some myths and legends along the way. One of these is kind of a biggie. If you've ever watched a Viking film or TV show, you might already know what I'm talking about. The heroic warrior has died protecting his people and it's time for him to take his place in the halls of Valhalla. As we watch, he's placed onto a longboat with piles of wood and possibly jewels or gold. Then a flaming torch is lowered to set the dead warrior alight and the longboat pushed out to sea. Very cinematic stuff. Just pretty much completely historically inaccurate. I hate to burst the Hollywood bubble, but with the fire also burning through the boat, as well as the boat only being able to hold so much fuel, it's not possible for the fire to burn hot enough, or for long enough, to burn the body. Where this leaves us in reality is with a half-charred corpse washing up along the shoreline within a few days, 
amongst a mess of probably now rotting driftwood. Not very badass. I know. Another pervasive myth about cremation is the idea that people are being cremated together as opposed to separately. I can tell you, this is not happening. Especially where I am in Scotland, there are very strict rules surrounding what goes on in crematoriums. There is a reason for this, which is a particularly dark and morbid part of Scottish history from the last 20 years, but I'll save that for another time. One of the main reasons for why I can confidently tell you how I know this isn't happening is that you physically can't fit more than one adult-sized coffin into a cremator at one time. If you Google pictures, you'll see what I mean, and cremators take up enough room as it is, so I hope I can put some of your minds at rest. And if that doesn't do it for you, then Googling your local um, crematoriums, they often run open days. So if you feel like it, you can go along, have a nose around, and see what's actually happening. Now, cremation being something that takes place after someone has passed, looking at you, Uncle Tim, is different to deaths caused by fire, but I thought we'd run through some honourable mentions of people who've fallen foul of Prometheus's gift. The first, of course, is Joan of Arc. What list of people who've burnt to death would be complete without France's favourite teenaged patron saint? After rising from her birth as a peasant girl to become a military leader after hearing the voice of God, Joan fought against the English and their allies during the 15th century in order to help place a French king, Charles VII, back on the throne. In the year 1430, Joan was captured by her enemies and accused of being both a heretic and a witch. Under imprisonment and torture, Joan was made to sign a contract denying that she had ever spoken to God. Days later, Joan was back at it again and defying the prudish English by dressing in boys' clothes. The horror. The very idea of people dressing in clothes that made them comfortable regardless of their gender and being penalised for it? Unthinkable. It was, unfortunately, the final straw and she was burnt to death at the stake. She was only 19. Claude Burroughs was an actor whose short-lived career was, unfortunately, overshadowed by his fiery death. During a show at the Brooklyn Theatre on December 5th, 1876, when a drop hanging caught a light on a lamp. The fire raced through the theatre and the audience panicked in their attempt to escape. Amidst all of this, Burroughs and one of his co-stars decided to head backstage to get their coats before exiting the building. It was midwinter and cold out, after all. This would be the last the two young actors would ever do, and their mangled bodies were found underneath the collapsed stage. The Brooklyn Theatre Fire is considered the third worst theatre fire in American history at the final toll taking the lives of over 300 people. Lastly is the demise of murderer Frank James Coppola, who was convicted and sentenced to death for the brutal killing of Muriel Hatchell in 1978. A Virginia police officer, 
Coppola tricked his way into Hatchell's home and proceeded to bind her and beat her head into the ground until she passed out and died from her injuries. All of this for about 3,000 in cash and some rings. When it came time for his execution, Coppola was strapped into the electric chair and the switch flicked on. It's reported that it took two 55-second jolts of electricity to kill him, and on the second jolt, something went wrong, and he caught on fire. Flames danced around his head and leg, and the execution room was filled with smoke as he died. If you're looking to do any further reading on the subject of cremation and crematoriums, I would highly, highly recommend Caitlin Doughty's Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. It takes you behind the scenes of a California crematorium and you get an inside look at the place that, well, you're statistically most likely to end up when you die. Another really interesting one, though I'll admit a tad bit pricier, is Designs on Death, The Architecture of Scottish Crematoria by Hilary Granger looking at the how and why of designing and building these chapels of grief, remembrance, and death. There are some stunning illustrations and designs in there. This week, I've been reading Nine Pints by Rose George, and to be honest, completely different to everything we've been talking about before, this book takes you on a romp through all of the weird and wonderful worlds that our blood inhabits from leeching, to the history of taking blood and blood banks and how we ended up with this volunteer service of giving blood, which I fully admit I actually, as an adult, have not got to do yet. I did go along and try one time, but um, I'm not the greatest fan of needles. And um, luckily, <laughs> maybe not luckily, my iron was too low and they ended up not being able to take the blood. But to be honest, reading this book is just put it back in my mind again that it's something that really we need to do, the blood doesn't just come from nowhere, but <laughs> I'll stop with all the preaching, it is a fantastic book though and I highly recommend it and if you read it you'll be sat there every other page just thinking how did I not know this before and why did nobody tell me? So there you have it, a winding exploration of cremation with a few fiery deaths thrown in along the way. If you are also a lover of the dark, the strange, and possibly of cursed literature, join me over on TikTok at Definitions, where I also chronicle and recommend all of my favorite morbid books. You can also find me at Definitions on Instagram and Twitter now as well, if those are more your chosen modes of social media. If you have any thoughts to share about the podcast or your own impending mortality, drop them in the comments. Reviews and ratings go a really long way in helping to get this podcast out there and I greatly appreciate the support. I want to tell you guys all about all this weird stuff as much as you want to hear about it. The more you let me know you're out there listening, the more I'm inspired to delve into the depths of the internet and my local library to bring you these twisted tales. And also, some feedback. Do you love these kind of episodes where we go through um, something death related that you might not know about? Uh, or are you really loving the author interviews? Let me know. I'm open to feedback. The Definitions podcast is research written and read 
by me, Jasper Chanter, with music provided by Zapsplat. Anyway, chop chop, break's over, pick that shovel up. That grave's not going to dig itself. Bye bye for now, listeners. Catch you on the other side. <laughs>